channel, subscribe to the old school way, nor the new school way, only the optimal way. The 80-20 Baseball Experience with Coach Ball. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, coaches, parents, players, to the 8020 Baseball Podcast, the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Hey, so I just read that In and Out is planning to come to Boise, and I knew this was probably coming because half of California has already moved here. So I figured it was in the works, but I just read an article just before I went live with the recording here In and Out coming to Boise. Now, there are great burger places everywhere, and I'm not one of those people that thinks that In and Out is just God's gift to hamburgers. They make a really good burger. They make good fries. It's a good experience. They have really good service. I think there's so many places that make good burgers and all across the country and the world, but they do make a good burger. It's quality. I like it. Um, good fries. I'm not one of those devout in and out is the best ever. I, I would never go there. I do like it. I'm looking forward to having it here. One thing, their prices are really reasonable. Their service is great. And something we can learn as coaches and just in our lives in general from in and out is to be really, really good at a few things rather than the jack of all trades. Jack in the box, literally no pun intended, Jack in the Box is the jack of all trades. And they don't have a line around the corner all day, every day at all of their franchises. So be really good at the things that are important. Be really good at certain things and try to avoid being semi-average at everything across the board. We've talked about this with the 80-20 rule in baseball. We want to be really good at the things that matter the most. And we don't want to really allocate much training time to those things that are just small fries. Now, enough of the puns. Let's move forward. I am fired up though. I did read that. It, it's a little ways away, but in and out coming to Boise. Looking forward to that. Always a good meal. Speaking of good, and not just good, but great, this World Series has been phenomenal. They just finished up game five last night. The Dodgers have a three to two lead. I'm biased. I'm a Dodger fan, but man, it's hard to cheer against those Rays. Oh man. I don't think I've ever had a harder time cheering against an opponent when I'm watching the Dodgers. When I watch the Angels play, I'm a big Angels fan too, but being in different leagues, it's a little easier to cheer for both. But man, that's a struggle to cheer against the Angels because I like the Angels a lot. But man, it's really hard to cheer against the Rays. What a fun team to watch. What a great group of guys. If I wasn't such a devout Dodger fan for over 30 years, I mean, I think it's going 35 years. I started scorekeeping at Dodger Stadium back in, I think, 85 was the first time I have a scorebook saved from being at the game. And I knew all the lineup back in the mid 80s. And I mean, I was born in 1981, but I mean, that's just how much of a Dodger fan I am. But man, oh man, if I was not such a devout Dodger fan, holy cow, I would be all in on the Rays. I love these guys. I love watching them play. And being a fan of baseball is just really easy. I'm just loving this World Series. So game six is going to be tomorrow night. As you listen to this, as this comes out, this is I'm recording this on Monday. This will be posted tomorrow. This will be made live tomorrow on Tuesday. So the game will be in the evening. Man, what a great World Series all around. I'm going to say this. One thing, it's, it's just really surprised me. You know, everybody talks about how much baseball has evolved and we have all these brains in baseball. And something that's really confusing to me is why... The the Dodgers, and this is referring back to game four when the Dodgers, Dave Roberts and the Dodgers coaching staff put Kenley Jansen in to close the ninth inning with a one run lead when he has shown no reason and there's no zero evidence, zero evidence of any time recent that warranted him being out there in a one run game, especially when they have a deeper pitching staff. They got 28 players on their roster, so they're running out more pitchers. They have more guys to go to. And so tell me this. 
In football, there have been offensive and defensive coordinators forever. The defensive coordinators don't call the offensive plays. They might suggest stuff in practice and they might talk in the back room and the meeting room, but they don't call the plays. And the offensive coordinators, the OC, surely don't call the coverages and the blitz packages and the defensive fronts for the defense. And my guess is Tex Winter and his triangle offense, he wasn't spending a lot of time implementing the defense for Phil Jackson's teams. So why is it that in baseball, an outfielder, an ex-outfielder, Dave Roberts, I really like Dave Roberts. I think he's just a great coach in terms of relating to the players, building relationships. I just think he's phenomenal. He's just a phenomenal person. But why in the heck does he have the responsibility of choosing which pitcher's coming in and out of the game? Now, I know that they meet before the games and I know the front office has a lot to do with that. So I know it's different than high school and youth ball. There's a lot more input on this and there's a lot more math involved. I get that. But why does Dave Roberts have the final say when it comes down to putting a pitcher in or not putting a pitcher in? Like, why does he have the say to put Kenley Jansen in? I don't understand that. It's just something that I don't know why they don't have like a pitching coordinator that calls that. Like, could you imagine an offensive coordinator like deferring to, they don't even defer. Most head coaches, well, I mean, Nick Saban is the most hands-on head coach in all of sports probably. I mean, in terms of being hands-on in every aspect of his organization, of his program. And even he doesn't call offensive plays for his coordinator. He lets them call the plays. I'm guessing he probably once in a while will say, hey, let's run the ball here or not. But he stays out of it. Even him with his track record and one of the greatest champion coaches of all time, even he doesn't, as a head coach, doesn't pick the offensive play. So why is it that we give an ex-outfielder a hitter. It's a different animal. Pitching is a different animal. And I think it's somebody, a guy like their pitching coach, Mark Pryor, I think I'd give it to him and using all the information that they have from their front office. I don't know. I just think that uh, that frustrates me. Sorry. I was a little bitter at that. This series could very well be over, but man, the Rays are awesome and they are fun to watch and it is what it is. Another thing we can learn, something that we can learn more specifically from watching the World Series. So I'm watching like guys, like we talked about Corey Seager and we're watching, he's having one of the best postseasons of all time hitting wise and his defense has been phenomenal too but hitting wise he's having one of the best postseasons of all time he's hitting in at the most elite level against the the most difficult pitching He looks like some of these Little League All-Stars in a Little League World Series that are batting like 500 and hitting every other ball over the fence. And he's doing it extremely well with two strikes. He's doing it extremely well with two strikes. So here's the approach that the great hitters with two strikes take. First, they don't chase. They don't chase. They build discipline during batting practice. They build discipline and good habits during batting practice so they don't chase bad pitches. Second, they battle the pitches on the fringe, on the fringe of the strike zone. The pitches that are on the fringes of the strike zone, they they battle those, they fight them off. And then third, they are not surprised one bit when that pitcher makes a mistake, when that pitcher throws up a cookie. There have been so, you're talking about the best pitching in the world. When you get to the playoffs of the Major League Baseball, it's the elite league in the world. You're getting into the playoffs and great pitching is a huge part of winning championships and playing in the postseason. And here these pitchers are, the elite of the elite, making mistake after mistake after mistake. Not every time, but they're making a lot of mistakes with two strikes. And the good hitters like Seager are capitalizing on them. And he hit one the other night like 430 feet on a two-strike pitch. It wasn't even a 3-2 pitch. It was like a 2-2 pitch. So it wasn't even like the pitcher had to give in to him. And he threw him a cookie. He threw him, he backed up a breaking ball. And what I mean by backed up breaking ball, for those of you that aren't familiar with that term, basically a backed up breaking ball is kind of a ball that squirts out. Now some of you guys are like, okay, now what's squirt out? I mean, basically it doesn't break down. It kind of flattens out. It, the spin is not as tight. It kind of comes out a little early. The hand gets a little on the side, a little below the ball when it's released. Basically it's a flatter breaking ball. It's not real sharp. 
And I think the key is as a hitter with two strikes and when you're coaching this with your hitters, this is so important. And I hear this so much when I'm out coaching for the thousands and thousands and thousands of games I've been out on the baseball field for. I hear the, hey, you got to protect, you got to battle, you got to protect, you got to battle. Yes, if the pitch dictates that. But telling our hitters to go in there before getting in the box with two strikes with the default mindset that we got to protect, that they got to protect and they got to battle. I don't agree with that. I think you have to train them twofold. One, to be prepared for a mistake, be prepared for a fastball belt high, be prepared for a hanging curveball. And when they get it, put a good swing on it. All right. Don't protect, don't battle, don't fight off a meatball. Don't fight off a cookie. They throw you a cookie, eat the whole darn thing. Now, with that said, if the pitch dictates that they need to battle, if the pitcher makes a good pitch on the outer fringes of the zone, down and away at the knees or whatever, depending on the hitter and depending on the pitcher, a good pitch, a good pitcher's pitch, then yeah, they got to battle that off. They got to fight it off. They got to do what they can. All right. You definitely don't want to go down looking, but don't be surprised by, and this is something that isn't taught very often in cross the board in baseball. This is something that we could really improve upon. The obvious one is that you hear is don't chase. Hey, don't chase bad pitches. Don't chase a ball in the dirt, right? We obviously don't want to do that. But I think that comes with just overall practice and building better habits during batting practice when it comes to plate discipline and the approach. Again, this is why I think it's so important that during batting practice for youth baseball, even high school baseball, the predominant discussion, and this can be something where it cannot, in my opinion, be overcoached, is the feedback on as the hitters are hitting, as the hitters up there taking pitches or swinging or not swinging, he's getting feedback from the coach who has a very good eye of the pitch saying, yes, that's a pitch we want to swing at, or no, that's not a pitch we want to swing at. Or if they did really swing hard and hey, that's it right there. That's the pitch we want to crush. That's the pitch for you. That's the pitch that works for you. And so this is assuming that you've done your batting practice set up right. Your batting practice should always be done. Hear me out. You should always, always, always do batting practice. Having the hitters know if it's two strikes or if it's less than two strikes. They should never be up there during batting practice, you know, versus a live pitcher. If you're doing some feeds, some underhand feeds and some soft, you know, some short work and some toss work, that's different. Or even some T, you know, obviously T work, things like that, that don't have anything to do with like really reading a pitch and you're working maybe on a swing technique, then yeah, but everything else, anything off a machine, anything off a pitching machine, anything off a pitcher at all, the hitter should, the team, the group up there, the batting practice group, the hitter should know whether it's two strikes or less than two strikes. They should know that because it's going to dictate what they swing at and what they don't swing at. And this is one of the biggest flaws in coaching and baseball coaching over the years. And again, you guys aren't listening to this podcast. Just I'm not trying to go out and regurgitate everything else that we already know. We're trying to take our coaching to the next level, whether that's building the team culture or whether that's getting the technique better, the hitting approach, the mechanics, the defensive drills, the base running. We're trying to get that better. We're trying to take what has been out there, what has been brought forth by all the great coaches in the history of this game across the board, and we're trying to elevate it. We're not trying to change it just for change sake. We're On this podcast, what I'm trying to do here to share with you is how to take it to the next level, to make what we already know, all right? I believe there's a lot of information out there that's like a six or a seven. There's a six or a seven on a scale one to 10. I think a lot of it could be brought up to a nine or a 10. I think there's very little that can't be added and proved upon. All right. Now there's a bunch of junk information out there too, but we're not going to get into that right now. So with two strikes, we are teaching, we are coaching the hitter. Hitters, you're going up there and you're obviously not chasing at a pitch. If you have built habits in batting practice and plate discipline and a good approach, you're not even chasing, you're not even going to look to swing it and you're not even going to attempt. You're not even going to move that bat if that pitch is bouncing a foot in front of the plate or if that pitch is up at your eye level. All right. Now, I'm a big fan of being ready to hit at all time. I'm a big fan of hitters that look even commit to a partial swing or a quarter swing and don't swing. That tells me they're ready to go and that they read the pitch and they read it late. That's fine. That means they're ready to hit and then it's hit, 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 take. I like that approach. So hitters, you're not going up there. Let me be very clear. You're not going up there looking to, with two strikes. You're not getting in the box looking to hit home runs with two strikes. But if they throw a cookie, don't be surprised. Good hitters are not surprised by mistakes because pitchers make.
make a lot of mistakes and they make mistakes with two strikes. And when they make mistakes, you got to make them pay. You got to drive the ball. When I say Corey Seager hit a ball 430 feet or 425 feet, I'm not saying we should all aim to hit the ball 425 feet when they make a mistake with two strikes. But what I'm saying is you should look to drive the ball. You should look to hit the ball hard. If you're in a default, if you're in a preset, a predetermined protect mode, defensive mode, you're not where you need to be. Do not go into defensive mode until you see the pitch and the pitch dictates it. If the pitcher makes a great pitch, then you got to go into battle mode. And it should happen. And this is something that you build habits on. It helps when you eliminate chasing bad pitches, just pitches that are definitely not anywhere near the zone. Once, when you get good at just eliminating those from anything you might swing at, you've narrowed down your vision and you've narrowed down the path that the pitch has to come through on the way to the plate. And then from there, it's, hey, if he throws a meatball, I'm looking meatball, looking meatball, and then I'm battling. And this is why it's so important for hitters to understand the difference between less than two strikes and two strike hitting approaches, because with less than two strikes, you're not battling those fringe pitches at all. You see the difference? You're not swinging at those fringe pitches. Every pitch with less than two strikes that you're swinging at should be a pitch that can be driven hard, hit hard. And like I've talked about that zone that they're hitting hard, their hot zone, it's not going to be a tiny little zone. It might be the size, like I said, of a big beach ball, but it's got to be in that or a small hula hoop. It's got to be in that zone to swing at. Now with two strikes, you got to expand a little, right? Because a strike means you're sitting on the bench. So you got to battle the fringe. You got to battle the fringe. So you're not looking to hit home runs with two strike necessarily. If they come, they come. But what you're looking to do is drive those cookies and don't be surprised by a meatball. Some of you guys might be getting a little hungry right now talking about all this food, meatballs and cookies, but uh, but this stuff, this approach is optimal. Now that was part one. We got four parts today. We got part two coming up right now. Real quick before that, please, if you wouldn't mind, leave a review. If you're liking the show, leave a review, a rating on your podcast platform, share this. That would be great. Guys, I do this for the baseball community. I do it for you coaches, you players, you parents that are listening. I take the time out of my week to plan it out and the time out of my day. And I even pay to have it edited. I got a great guy, Sam, who does a fantastic job editing it. So it goes fast. That's something I think you guys should know. The podcast does move fast, but I'm not actually talking this fast while I record it. I have a great editor, Sam, and he's doing a fantastic job of speeding up and taking out some of the dead time and the some of the space in between here. Because when I'm listening to stuff that I want to learn from, I want to enjoy it. So I'm trying to share with you, like talking about in and out talking about the World Series. And now we're going to hit three more coaching strategies. Actually, one of these is a recommendation to watch a show about coaching. And I don't want you to sit there and waste your time. I'm a huge fan. Like when I listen to audiobooks, I go 1.25 speed. I don't like the 1.5 speed. I like the 1.25. I don't want to read a book just to get through it. I want to read it and digest and absorb the information, be able to use it and share it and use it in my life and use it for whatever, whether it's baseball or something else. But I don't like podcasts that drag along. And that's one of the reasons I've avoided a lot of the interview podcasts, because I think interviews sometimes get a little bit long because they're talking and there's banter back and forth. And I think banter is good. And I think that's a good part. But what I know when you're coming on, you're trying to learn about baseball. And so if I'm sitting here back and forth discussing a lot of this, having a conversation with another coach, it doesn't always add up to a lot of good information that you can take out there. And I've listened to all the podcasts out there and that have the interview format. And I'm a fan of interview formats, but I'll tell you what, at the end of the hour, at the end of the two hours or the end of the 45 minutes, I feel like I only got about mm, 20 minutes of really good information that I could take out or 10 minutes or 30 minutes. I seems like a lot of it's kind of about their backstory and things like that. That's interesting stuff, but it's not the point of this podcast. This podcast is to get as much good information across to you as possible. That's why I got my editor, Sam, doing a great job cutting out the dead space and things. It's just trying to make it flow fast. So you actually don't even have to hit that 1.5 speed or that 1.25 speed. You can get a lot of stuff in quickly, a lot of information that can help you out on the field, be a better coach, be a better parent, be a better player. With that said, part two, I want to recommend to you all to go watch on Apple TV. And when I say Apple TV, it's their Apple 
content. It's actually Apple produced content. The name of the show is Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. L-A-S-S-O. I stumbled across it. I don't watch much TV. I binge watch during the playoffs for baseball. I watch a lot of spring training and throughout the year I watch countless highlights of games and I, I try to stay busy with my time producing this, working, just trying to stay busy, exercising, making sure everything's done in life that needs to be done, being a good father, being a good husband. So I don't really watch much TV, but I stumbled across this show, Ted Lasso, and man, oh man, I recommend it for all you coaches. It is a really, really good story and it's entertaining. It's well done. It's not about baseball. It's actually about soccer and I'm not going to get too much into the show. If you want to watch it, I highly recommend it. I just finished through episode 10. It was season one. So I just finished up with season one. And I'll tell you what, we talk about building the team culture, building the environment to be just a winning environment. And that's essentially all of what Ted Lasso does and his approach. And it's funny. And I like the comedy. There are so many great series out there and so many great TV shows out there that are popular, so many popular choices, but very few are really good comedy. And I'm a big fan of if I'm going to spend time, I want to have comedy. Life is already stressful enough. We got all these things going on, all these challenges in life. I want to laugh. So this ties in a great coaching message throughout, and it also keeps it funny. Ted Lasso, if you haven't seen it, go watch it, Ted Lasso, and just watch how he coaches, watch his strategies. Literally, you can steal his tactics. He has like every episode, he has a tactic, a strategy that you can use, that we can use as coaches to be better for our players, to build a better team culture. And it's the best of both worlds because it's a TV show with a story and it's funny and it's like you're watching this kind of extended movie spread out over 10 episodes. But there's such great information that we can use and apply. So not only is it fun to watch and enjoyable to watch, it's stuff we can go out and use with our players. Highly recommend you watch Ted Lasso. All right, part three here. There's something that I see a lot of in the world and obviously in baseball, the baseball community that I think we need, it's it's a red flag. And that is we need to avoid extremes, going one way or the other on the extremes. And I think it's important that with the baseball community that we are careful when we are learning from, and this is from experience of studying all the great coaches in the baseball community and outside the baseball community. We have to be very cautious to go all in when we hear a couple things that a coach says or a trainer says or a group of people says, an organization is saying, they're giving out information, they're sharing knowledge and things like that and strategies. You got to be careful to just go all in because you hear one or two or three good things that they say. Now, that doesn't mean all the stuff that they're sharing or all the stuff that that coach is sharing is not great, but it's very, very difficult to hit the nail on the head with every single thing that you put out there as a coach. So there are some very well-known coaches and very well-known organizations, businesses out there in the baseball community that I think have some awesome, awesome, awesome information to share, knowledge to share, even some products to share. But I think it's important that you're cautious that you that just because they've hit the nail on the head with a few things or a half dozen things doesn't mean everything is going to be a home run that they're sharing. And I think that we as coaches and as people, sometimes we make the mistake of when we do have some success with certain things and we want to share them, we think all of our ideas are great because three of our ideas were top notch. And sometimes then we think all of our ideas, you see this in the world, like people that are really successful, like actors and actresses, and then they want to chime in on everything else going on in the world, like politics. And it's like, hey, just because you're really good at making in a movie or just because you're great at producing or acting in a TV show doesn't mean you're the expert at all this the other things. And so I think sometimes when we have success with certain things or we have success in general, we think that everything we're sharing is hitting the nail on the head or spot on. And that's something we all got to be careful with, something I'm very cautious with. And that's why I don't get into a thousand different things on this podcast. When I hammer down on like the hitting approach, I feel really, really, really strong about the hitting approach. But this is not something I just came up with. This is years and years of thinking and developing and strategizing it out and 35 years of watching baseball every single year, whether that was playing, watching, coaching, studying, just being kind of obsessed growing up with baseball and just being all around it. A good example of this is Nick Saban 
does some things absolutely. Here's a perfect example. Nick Saban is phenomenal at so many things. I mean, he's so far ahead of the curve on things. I mean, wow, talk about process, process. And he even builds relationships, but I don't think he builds relationships as well as he could. I think he's a little more, definitely more transactional in my opinion. I've never met Nick Saban. This is all from just studying and observing them closely. I did go to that championship game a couple years back. I was sitting there like in the 12th row and Clemson uh, laid it on him pretty good. They laid it on him like 44 to 15. They gave him a licking. But I think Nick Saban, I think he's a little bit more of a transactional coach. And I think you want to be a transformational coach. That term has been thrown out there. I think it was a coach, Louisiana Lafayette coach, uh, I think said it out the ABCA. I'm drawing a blank on his name, but it was be a transformational coach, not a transactional coach. And I think you can have a little bit of transaction in there because you're helping them and, and they're helping you and you're working together. But transformational is where we, really where we want to be. And I think with Nick Saban, I think one, he yells too much. I wouldn't yell as much as, as he does. You only yell when you don't have a discipline policy that's not effective. That's the only time you really need to get into that much yelling. And players don't play harder because you yell at them. They just don't. And so I don't like that. But uh, he does so many things phenomenal. Nick Saban, if you watch how, I mean, just some of the stuff that they do and the grading, the hustle. I mean, they videotape every single player during practice and then they grade their hustle and that and then they put it out there and they score it all. They He has an exact process for how he recruits players, the players he's looking for, and he sticks to it. And if anybody goes outside of that, he has a very, very firm blueprint, a very, very detailed blueprint of how he wants things done. He's very organized. And uh, that. with that said, I do think that he could be a lot better with building relationships. But uh, hey, we're not perfect. You know, none of us are perfect. So got a lot of uh, respect for Nick Saban. My point is we can't go all in or we should be very cautious going all in on the information, all the different information that we're getting from a single source just because they hit home runs with a couple things. A good one, a good example of that is driveline in baseball. Driveline is super popular. I flew over to driveline. I've studied driveline sensor infancy and I flew over there. I watched, I got a tour of their facility, their old facility had just moved into a new facility. I think some of the stuff they're doing is phenomenal. I think some of the stuff they're doing is phenomenal, flat out. And I've brought that up here. And if you want, I could share with you, I got a list of like 10 things that they do that are just phenomenal. I love some of the stuff that they're doing. I love how they question things. I love how they're backing it up with evidence. I like their open source mentality, their open source philosophy. There's a lot of things that I really like, but there's also some things that I think that they're not spot on. I think that there's other coaches and other ways to do it better. And so I think it's like, even with them, as good as they are, I think you shouldn't just all eggs in one basket approach when you're studying. I think you should use a variety of stuff to learn. And that's all the stuff that that I've put together here. It comes from a thousand different coaches. Now, this podcast episode here may be stuff that I've learned over the course of just observation and then also from two or three different coaches, or a lot of it I try to do is basically look at how certain coaches are doing it that have been successful over time, or maybe I listen to 10 different coaches and I look for commonalities of what they're saying and I grab that out of there and I go, okay. And I go, okay, that seems to be a commonality of all the greats, how they teach hitting. All right, is that optimal? Okay, well, we know it's been working. We know it's successful and it's successful across the board with all these great coaches. So that's a huge plus. And then I always ask myself, could it be improved? Could it be improved? Not for change sake, but could it be improved because it could just simply be better? So we've talked about this many of times, grabbing the commonalities of all the greats, whether that's coaches or players, copying the commonalities of the great players, the great coaches, and being very careful, just go all in on one resource. And that's kind of my message. We just got to be careful of going all in on one resource or all in on just a few resources. Now, if you ever want my feedback on some of these resources out there, I'll give you my honest feedback and I'm going to give you the pros and the cons. And I'm only going to 
speak to what I can speak with certainty about. I don't know if I don't have firsthand knowledge or some good certainty of working with players that have worked with these these organizations, these programs and stuff. Like I'm National Pitching Association certified. I got that with Tom House. Tom House, phenomenal. I love what National Pitching Association does. In fact, I've been a Tom House fan for probably longer than most of the coaches out there, probably 97% of the pitching coaches out there that are Tom House fans. I was probably a Tom House person. I was using Tom House when I was playing. I was using his stuff, reading his books. His books are, I mean, really old. Some of his books he wrote way back in the day. And now Tom House is getting a lot of popularity because he's taking more of an online presence with Twitter and things like that. But there's things that they teach that I'm not all in on. And I love most of the stuff they do, but there's some things I don't. So that's really my main message with that. Just be careful going all in on one resource. And just because a resource has hit a home run with a couple things, just because a certain group of coaches or a program or organization or a business that's out there in the baseball community or a coach or a coaching staff that comes up with, with some just pure gold nuggets of wisdom doesn't mean everything they're saying is pure gold. So don't follow blindly. All right. And if you have any questions, you can email me, coachbo at 8020baseball.com. You can reach out. You can DM me on Twitter, 8020 underscore baseball, 8020 underscore baseball. You can reach out and uh, ask me what my thoughts are on that. And I'll certainly give you my take on that. In fact, not that long ago, I had a professional player ask me what they, what I thought about driveline. I laid it out. I said, here, here's the 10 things I love about him. Here's a couple things I'd be a little cautious with. And then here you go. Make your decision. All right, part four. This time of year, assuming that your main season for baseball is in the spring and assuming it's going to take place this year with COVID, spring baseball is the main season, especially for high school, college, and youth ball. I know everything is a little more year-round now, but the main season is in the spring. This time of year. I don't like the year-round for one reason, and that is because you can't develop and go heavy on a lot of the strength stuff, the strength and mobility and the strength training. And I think the strength training is something that you should go heavy on this time of year. Now, the catch to that is you want your hitters to get as many at bats as they can like hitting you want to get as many at bats as you can you want to see as many pitches as you can so you can develop that better hitting approach and you develop a better habits of hitting approach as it, with your hitting approach when you get a lot of reps so then you got to sometimes you got to have pitchers or coaches or somebody can get out there and throw a lot of reps that's a trade-off but with your pitchers i think this is the time of year and with all your players and for that matter this is the time of year in september october and november in my opinion in, around in the baseball community with the main season being in the spring this is the time of year you want to double and triple down on building better fitness, better overall strength, better quality movement, more athleticism. Hear me again. This is the time of year in the fall, early fall, and even into December, you really want to allocate a lot of time to building better overall baseball fitness or just general purpose athleticism, being stronger, being more mobile, better quality movement, better range of motion. Now, a big mistake is when you get to the regular season, a lot of coaches just stop doing it. I completely disagree with that. I do absolutely believe there needs to be maintenance mode come season time come february come march come april there needs to be maintenance mode all the way through but this is the time of year you want to go heavy on the load you want to go heavy on the volume not necessarily the weight the resistance but what i'm saying is you got to go heavy on the volume this time of year in fact if i was a high school coach i would set this up and i got the idea from a really great coach a friend of mine jeff and he's been phenomenal he's had a lot of success coaching high school baseball jeff coach bombeck he's at rancho bernardo high and he had a, a lot of success at Long Beach Wilson, one of national titles, the pitching coach there. They had a lot of success there. One of the best teams in Southern California when he was there as an assistant with Coach Andy Hall. And then he moved over to Redondo Union and basically took a program that never won a CIF title, basically a Southern California championship. And he did it back-to-back years. And I think he made the semifinals the year before that. So in a five or six-year span, he had a lot of success. And he's down at Rancho Bernardo, took over for a Hall of Fame coach. And he's going to be super successful down there. He's already had success. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting about how he set up his high school 
physical practice was he didn't get into the throwing routines and into like it wasn't a full-on practice in September and October and so he built up he built up he kind of phased things in and I thought about that and I said you know it's so true because so many of the coaches I've ever coached with and so many of the teams I've ever had worked with it seemed like we would go right into like full-on normal practices like in September and October and what one thing that gets left out is building up that strength building up the strength whether that's the throwing program but in this case what I'm talking about is just really getting stronger now you can say do it during the summer yeah that'd be great if you started in August but I also think that you should have some downtime a little bit of relaxation time and a little time away from things with that said why not September and October and even a little bit in November really put a lot of your time into building up strength youth coaches same thing when I trained youth teams we would spend at least two months every fall typically September October and even into November my plans the calendar I would lay it out and it would all be so we would peak when the first game hit in the spring because that to me was the most important that's the traditional baseball season we built a lot of strength we would spend sometimes half of practice building strength or a third of practice building strength speed athleticism strength speed athleticism quality movement range of motion we would spend a good amount of time and as we got closer to the season we would continue to do it absolutely but we would phase it down we would kind of decrease it slowly as we got towards the season and go maintenance mode when the season starts another thing is joining in these fall leagues like joining leagues like in southern california there's some really popular fall leagues and they start like in september and i wouldn't join those if i was a head coach i would get out of those leagues i would do some pickup games here and there maybe a saturday game a saturday morning game or a friday evening game or or whatever a friday afternoon game i would put some games in first off i wouldn't even get into i would really focus on intra-squad games in the fall intra-squad games are when you're playing yourself and you get so many more you double the reps you inherently double the reps you double the practice reps the at-bats the whatever it is ground balls fly balls everything base running you double it when you play yourself so in the fall i would do a lot of intra-squatting or i would just solely do intra-squatting playing yourself scrimmaging yourself your own team and then i would avoid playing in leagues i would avoid playing in i would just train i would do a lot of hitting i would do a lot of strength training i'd take a lot of ground balls i'd do a lot of speed training i would get faster i would get stronger i would get more athletic i would build up the arm slowly and i'd hit as much as i could and as many ground balls as possible and that would be the bulk of the fall and early winter training so build strength this time of year build athleticism this time of year go heavy on that build a great foundation and a foundation for an athlete we talk about the foundation for pitching is the lower half but the foundation for an athlete the foundation for a baseball player is fitness is strength is quality movement athleticism build that all up now build that all up now and then funnel it down as the early or as the late winter and early spring comes about All right, so we covered five topics in barely 30 minutes, five things that I think you can take the recommendation, the Ted Lasso, go watch that show, entertaining show, and just a great to get your mindset right on players. I mean, it literally is everything I've talked about when it comes to the team culture. Go back and listen to the team culture episode. Go back and listen to the team culture episode that I did and then watch that show. And it's almost as if they, the person, the the producer, the director, the script writer for the show read that, and I know they didn't, but it's almost as if they read it and then literally they built the show around a coach that follows that philosophy. And again, they probably didn't listen to it. Maybe they did. Who knows? The listeners are increasing every week on this podcast and that fires me up. So we're getting a lot more listeners every week. So excited about that. It motivates me to keep putting a good episode out each week, each Tuesday. And I told you we're going to talk about things that are season specific. So this is early preseason for the baseball community. Then we have preseason, then we have in-season and then postseason summer stuff. So we're going to phase it and we're going to set it up and we're going to talk about things that it should be more 
related to the end season. Now, there's a lot of stuff that'll just, it's good across the board all year round. So most of the stuff is good across the board year round, but we're also going to talk about, I'm going to share with you strategies that are going to help you in each season as we are going through them or just before we go through them, ideally. All right, to recap the other topics, we talked about building strength this time of year, building athleticism this time of year. Also, be careful going all in on one resource. Be very careful going all in on one resource. Everything that somebody shares, all the wisdom that somebody shares is probably not the best of the best. So be careful with that. And with two strikes, your approach should be not protect mode, not default defensive mode. It should be, I'm not going to be surprised if I'm the hitter. I'm thinking, I'm not going to be surprised if he throws me a cookie, hangs me a breaking ball, throws me a fastball right down the middle. I'm not going to be surprised. And if he does, I'm going to drive it. And if he doesn't, and he throws me a pitcher's pitch, I'm going to battle them. Then I'm going to battle. I'm going to fight it off. I'm going to fight to put it in play. And obviously we should never be chasing bad pitches, but that comes from practicing it, discipline, and coaching that up in our batting practices. All right, this has been Coach Bo. Thank you guys for being here. Follow me on Twitter, 8020 underscore baseball. Email me any comments, questions, things like that. Coach Bo at 8020 baseball. You guys are awesome. Now go out there, take care of your health, take care of your family, go make the baseball community better with this information. And we'll see you on the flip side, aka next Tuesday. Bye. This has been the 8020 Baseball Experience. This is a really good team, and so you have to earn everything you have against them and take opportunities when they present themselves. Take it to the field. 